There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up on Studios America, The Atlantic actually publishes a good idea. It's time to open everything. And a Texas legend is hoping to win big on the Super Bowl. We'll give you that story. The offer is still good to get 10 bucks off a Blaze TV subscription at blazetv.com slash stew. Just smash in that stew promo code and you're good to go. Does the NFL have some issues with racial equality? Well, assuming everything is racist, which of course it is, I'd have to say yes. Let's find out how, as we do, the NFL's race problem. Stew does America. It is Super Bowl week, yes, and that means racism. Mm-hmm, that's right. First, it was racist that David Culley, a black coach that won four whole games the past season, was fired by the Houston Texans. Then it was racist that Brian Flores, a black coach that started 1-7 before making a run and narrowly missing the playoffs with the Miami Dolphins, was fired as well. And he was fired by the Miami Dolphins and fired by their black general manager. But that was racist, too. Then it was racist because the NFL only had one black head coach. Of course, then things got a little complicated because the Houston Texans replaced their fired black head coach with another black head coach. Was that racist, too? According to Brian Flores, yes, it was. Uh, this is a statement from his attorney. My, Mr. Flores is happy to hear that the Texans have hired a black head coach, Lovey Smith, as Mr. Flores' goal in bringing his case to provide real opportunities for black and minority candidates to be considered for coaching and executive positions within the NFL. <laughs> However, we would be remiss not to mention that Mr. Flores was one of the three finalists for the Texans' head coaching position. And after a great interview and mutual interest, it is obvious that the only reason Mr. Flores was not selected was his decision to stand up against racial inequality across the NFL. You remember Flores sued the NFL because he thought he didn't get hired on another place because they were racist. Now, they hired a black head coach in, in Houston, and now Brian Flores is saying that that's racist. Is Brian Flores an entire race now? He doesn't get hired and it's racist. You're racist. You have Caucasian and then you have Florasian. I don't know. We have to see. Uh, The hiring of a black head coach is uh, just even more evidence of racism or something. And then to complicate this ridiculous argument a little bit further, the Miami Dolphins, the Brian Flores's former team, also hired a black head coach. Now, some on the left are going to point uh, great pains uh, to point out that he's biracial. But I don't remember that point being made with Barack Obama. Of course, there's no room for sanity when your livelihood is based on inflaming racial divides. There's just no room. The pinnacle of this job description in the media might be Jamel Hill. She always has a take on issues like this, and here's her pathetic one this time. The NFL's black coaches should stop playing along. They're expected to put up with a hiring system that, in practice, is plainly biased against them. This is completely insane. It's the exact opposite. You are required by rule 
to give interviews to minority coaching candidates in the NFL. Required by rule to interview people based on their skin color. But that was not enough. So the NFL decided to go a lot further, and they did. The coach of the Dolphins was employed previously by the San Francisco 49ers. Why is that important? Let me give you this breakdown. The 49ers will receive two third-round compensatory picks for Mike McDaniel being hired as a head coach because he is biracial. The club has already received compensatory picks for the hiring of New York Jets head coach Robert Sala and uh, Washington football team GM Martin Mayhew, who were also minority hires. By the way, it's Washington Commanders. Okay, so I hope you really took that one in because it's actually an amazing, amazing thing. And I don't I mean, under our current legal structure, I don't know how it's legal at all. When you hire a minority executive or coach and another team hires them away for an executive position, your team gets awarded free draft picks. So you are obviously incentivized to do this. Multiple third round picks because someone hired one of your employees that isn't white. Third round picks have a lot of value in the NFL. They are literally altering the competitive balance of the league based on skin color to get more minorities hired. And she's arguing that the system is plainly based, biased against them. You want to talk about a real example of systemic racism. This is it. It is an overt rule baked into the system that explicitly is based on race to incentivize the hiring of one race over another. That is real systemic racism. But with all that being said, the truth is there is a much higher percentage of black players in the league than black coaches. This, of course, is true. But the whole argument is built on a false premise. It means nothing. And it does not at all prove racism. It's true about 60% of NFL players are black. Now, normally the media kind of just skips over this part of it, but let's dig into that number just a little bit. These are the jobs that every kid wants. You don't recreate the coaching moments of the Super Bowl in your backyard. You recreate the plays. And so every kid that would ever grow up to be a coach likely played football at some level. They all want the same thing. So why is it that a country that is 78% white has a league that only 25% of the NFL players are white? Or on the other side, only about 13% of the population is black. So why are 60% of NFL players black? How do you explain that? Why would a league that is supposedly racist against blacks hire them for the most desirable jobs at almost five times their representation levels? There are only a couple of explanations for that. Number one, the NFL is racist against white players. That might be insane, but if you're on the left, at least it's logically consistent. When a group is massively underrepresented in any field, the only cause they ever come up with is racism. But I'm pretty sure that's not true in this case, so we'll just skip that one for the moment. There's only one other plausible explanation. For whatever reason, black players are outperforming white players in the meritocracy of sports, except punting. And we still kick everybody's ass at punting. Uh, that's been true since the beginning of the time, and it will never change. 
This shows up the, uh, in the racial demographics of football at every single level from beginning to end. According to The Atlantic, in keeping with America's general racial demographics, white boys continue to make up the majority of youth tackle football players, according to the data from the Sports and Fitness Industry Association. As you rise up to the college level, this starts to change a little bit. Today, black athletes make up nearly half of all Division I college football players, up from 39% in the year 2000. White athletes only make up 37%, down from 51% in the year 2000. So whites are the majority of players in youth leagues, only 37% in Division I college, and then only 25% in the NFL. White people want to play football. They love football. They just aren't good at football, or at least not good enough. So what does a Division I college football player that can't quite make it in the NFL do with their time when they aren't drafted? They go into, say it with me, coaching. The very good white player is far more likely to turn into a coach earlier in their life, while the very good black player is in the freaking NFL. The white player gets coaching experience, while the black player gets playing experience. So, in effect, the white player's lack of success at playing the game actually helps them get a multi-year head start in their coaching career. Now, this isn't the case all the time with every single person, obviously, but it does tilt the playing field. But bigger than that, why on earth are we comparing the percentage of players to the percentage of coaches in the NFL? This would only make sense if the qualifications for the two jobs were roughly the same, but they are most certainly not. Here's one of the top wide receivers in the NFL right now, DK Metcalf. See all those abs? He's got more abs than I knew he had. Somewhere in my body, maybe there's that many abs, but it's let under so much fat, you're never going to see it. Now, here is one of the top head coaches in the league, Andy Reid. He looks like a giant cherry. That's what he looks like right there. If he only had a stem coming out of his head, you'd think he was a cherry. He's round and red. That's what Andy Reid is. Do these two people look like they have the same skill sets? Do they? The thing that makes DK Metcalf stand out on the field, his incredible physical tools, do absolutely nothing for him in his potential role as a coach. He might be a good coach. But he's no more likely to be a good coach than a decent white football player who's completely out of shape and has flamed out in college. This doesn't mean that white people have the, uh, have the skills needed to coach more than black people do. It just means that white people have the same ability to coach as any other race. If that were true, you would expect that black coaches might make up around 13% of the coaches in the league. And that's been roughly true for a long time. Based on the percentages, you'd expect somewhere around three to five head coaches to have uh, jobs at any one time in the NFL. That would represent the percentage of the population that's African-American. Right now, it's three. In addition, there is a Puerto Rican head coach and a Lebanese-American head coach. Does any of this matter? Do you care if a white quarterback or a black quarterback wins your team a Super Bowl? Do you? Do you care if a white coach or a black coach wins your team a Super Bowl? Do you? Of course not. You don't care because you are sane. We are at a point of complete insanity on the issue of race. When David Culley was hired, hired as a black coach, it was racist because he got a crappy job in the NFL. When he was fired, it was racist again. When a black coach replaced him, it was racist again. This is insanity.
Sports is supposed to be the place we can all go to and leave the rest of the world behind. Instead, it's becoming yet another cesspool of the same woke craziness that has infected every other aspect of our lives. If they truly want sports and a sports world that cares more about skin color than the color of the uniforms, they're going to alienate a lot of people who just want to judge individuals by their individual ability and the content of their character, not the color of their skin. You may have noticed inflation, it's a little high, a 40-year high. Investors are selling stocks up and down, volatility is up 50% over the last month. You can thank Jerome Powell's interest rate hike announcement for all of this. And of course, it could get a lot worse. Goldman Sachs even predicts there could be five more rate hikes in the next year alone. Now, let me ask you this. Is your portfolio ready for what is to come? If not, you may want to consider investing in alternative assets like blue chip art. After all, art has the pretty low correlation to the stock market and blue chip art prices are outpacing the S&P 500 by 164% for the past 25 years. Diversifying with art isn't new. The ultra-wealthy have done it, of course, for centuries. And with Masterworks, you can actually be involved in this. You don't have a few million dollars hanging around. You can't buy one of these paintings. But they have an alternative investment platform that lets you buy shares representing an investment in multi-million dollar paintings. Join over 330,000 members and get priority access to Masterworks with the unique link we have for you, masterworks.io slash stew. Masterworks.io slash stew. Do your homework. Read the important disclosures that Masterworks has to offer on their website. Check it out now, masterworks.io slash stew. We're starting to see more and more people on the left, in the middle, kind of come to the positions that we've been talking about here for a very long time, which is you take whatever precaution you choose from the menu of precautions. Might be uh, maybe it's natural immunity. Maybe you already got COVID. Maybe it's a vaccine. Maybe it's some other treatment. Whatever your your idea is, you now know what the menu is. You select off the menu. You get back to life. That's that's where we should be. It's where we should have been a long time ago. And slowly but surely, the left and the and the moderate people out there are starting to come along to that that way of thinking. And we have two directions to go here. And I think we need to go in both of them. Okay. Uh, And I, you know, I have a lot of people, a lot of our friends here at the Blaze and a lot of people that I hear in the audience are really focused on making sure that the decision makers, particularly in government, not the average people, but the decision makers in government are held responsible for the mistakes that they've made over the past couple of years. And I am 100 percent on that bandwagon. I also, though, I'm on the bandwagon of wanting to welcome in as many uh, people as possible into sane thought. I want this to be open. I want this stuff to be behind us. I don't want them to be defending their turf anymore. Once we get past this and we're back to normal life, then we can work really hard to make sure that they're held accountable. And of course, the leadership always should be held accountable no matter what. But there is this thing where, you know, I have, I have people that I know, friends who are, you know, maybe a little bit more liberal than I am, um, that, uh, you know, we're much more interested in the, uh, the restrictions. As they come back to sanity, it is, I think, appropriate to welcome them. And I've been trying to do that. It's not always easy. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. A lot of times I want to say, oh, yeah, well, I told you that a year ago, but I've just kind of decided not to do that. And the reason for that is I want us to get back to where we were. 
I want I want people to understand that life goes on and we need to be able to get back to normal life. Now, the decision makers in government, those are totally different stories. And we need to make sure that we keep pushing there, because the only reason this stuff happened in the first place is because we were pushing. I think we could have sat back and this could have gone on forever. But the tide is starting to change. And it's kind of interesting. There's a new piece in The Atlantic today. The Atlantic, again, no conservative publication. Yasha Munk is his name. And I was not familiar with him, but he tells a little bit about his uh, history here. And I think it's kind of interesting. His uh, the title of the piece is Open everything. The time to end pandemic restrictions is now. Now, you might say, okay, well, Stuber Gear wrote that piece, and, and that, you know, am I supposed to be excited about that? Some conservative is excited. That's not the case here. In March 2020, I wrote that America should cancel everything in response to the acute threat posed by COVID-19. Mass events should be postponed. Companies should send employees home from the office, and schools should move classes online. Almost two years later, highly effective vaccines are available free of charge to any American over the age of five who chooses to take them. Antiviral pills, which will further reduce the risk posed by COVID-19, will soon be in wide circulation. One quick story on that. Had a friend um, whose father uh, got COVID recently, was having a bit of a tough time with it, got his hand on the uh, the Pfizer pills and went through it and knocked it out immediately. Now, I know we have a lot of stories. There's a lot of anecdotal stories like that. You can't base your health policy on anecdotes. Um, but it is at least, I thought it was interesting to at least see. It's the first person I had heard of that even got their hands on them. They're pretty hard to get at this point. Um, we finally have the tools to live with the coronavirus. Yet life in America remains shaped by pandemic caution thanks to state directives, policies adopted by private organizations, and choices made by individuals. Goes on to say an Axios Ipsos poll found that only 18% of Americans say their lives have returned to normal. And, you know, it's interesting. Again, I've, I've I've said this a bunch of times in a way just to try to lure you to move to Texas. Uh, but, you know, we've lived in Texas this entire time. There really hasn't been much of a difference from normal life in quite a while. There's been a couple of events I've gone to that have had kind of annoying restrictions. You go into a restaurant, you see a mask here or there. Uh, of course, flights and things like that are still kind of annoying. It's not perfect, but it is a lot better. And I wouldn't describe it as completely different, uh, really, in any big way from life before the pandemic. Now, I am going to California this week, so I will, I will update you next week on life in California. But even California is lifting its indoor mask mandate the day I fly out of the state. Thank you very much, Gavin. I swear he knew. He knew. Um, he, uh, the author of the piece goes on to say, we need to get rid of not only masks, but also things like pandemic theater, uh, the security measures, the ridiculous cleaning. Every time I, you know, my kids go to a camp in this one area and there's a, there's a gym there, and I always see the people cleaning the front of the treadmills. Like, think of where your feet would be on a treadmill. I know if you're in this audience, you probably don't exercise much because, uh, uh, you know, you just take after the host. Uh, but, you know, you have that situation where the, you know, the, the thingy thing, you know, the little belt thingy, it's going really fast. And you're like walking and you're looking like an idiot just walking in place over and over again. But the part in front of your feet, the part that basically no one would ever touch unless you were fixing the treadmill, they clean it like 50 times a day. Why? It's theater. We all know it's theater, and that stuff needs to come to an end. Um, he says, it's time to draw the logical inference from all of this and end our pandemic purgatory. By this, I mean we should lift all remaining restrictions on everyday activities, which were, in any case, unable to prevent the rapid circulation of Omicron cases this winter. Children should be allowed to take off their mask in school. I bet you're feeling this as well. Everyone's done with that stuff. 
Everyone's done with the kid stuff. There's almost nobody who wants their kid in masked all, all the time. Every once in a while I see someone with walking down the street with their dad or their mom with a mask on, but it's super, super rare at this point. Um, politicians and public health officials should send the message that Americans should no longer limit their social activities, encouraging them to resume play dates and dinner parties without guilt, blah, blah, blah. Now, you're probably like me and have been living that way for a while. My guess is... If you are, you know, you're a Blaze subscriber, you're watching us on Pluto TV, you're listening on podcasts, and you're thinking to yourself, look, I've already, why are you even telling us this? I don't need, I don't need any more advice from anybody to, to live my life normally. I'm already doing it. And that's great. It's really good for you. I'm really excited uh, that you're doing that. I'm excited for myself. I've been doing it as well. That being said, not everybody is. And it's good that you're getting the left-wing voices now saying, hey, this is a little ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, we probably all had that moment in like May 2020 when it's like, you know, April 2020. This is a little ridiculous, isn't it? Shouldn't we change the way we're doing this? They're having that moment much, much later. It's become this weird moral crusade to wear your mask and to show your vax card and all of this nonsense. We need everybody to get past it, though. Not even just here, but also around the world. You know, as America's only Toronto Blue Jays fan, I want to go to a freaking game eventually. They're not going to let me in the freaking country at this point. Trudeau's going to be standing at the border with his own truck blockading me from entering. And I don't want that to happen. Um, COVID-19 cases uh, and hospitalizations, amazingly, with all this stuff that I've been talking about, amazingly, the CDC is still in the same place. They are saying COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations are still too high for changes in mask guidance. Uh, This is just an embarrassment. They have been on the wrong side of this pretty much from the beginning. Uh, When they loosened everything up after the vaccines came out, we went into that summer. Joe Biden was like, it's Independence Day and I'm going to crush the virus. And we were at very low levels at that time. That was the time to remove it forever. Now, I should say, I believe it was the time to do that a lot earlier than that. In fact, as you know, I don't think there should have ever been, other than recommendations, any of these restrictions. Um, You can make recommendations and we'll we'll take your advice and, and maybe ignore it and maybe do it. Uh, but you really should you had no right to shut down the economy. Of course, that's been my uh, opinion from the beginning. Um, but, but I'm talking about like the Democratic Party line. Like there is a danger if you're a Republican candidate. If you are a Republican, and you want to get back into office in 2022. The midterms are coming up. There was a dangerous period there that. As the cases were very low in the summer, Biden could have just said, you know what? We got the vaccines out here. It's time to open everything up. Take your restrictions if you feel they're necessary for yourself, but no more government restrictions and made a real case there. You know, as Jared Polis sort of did in in Colorado, uh, it may have been a time where maybe COVID's in our rearview mirror completely by the time the election comes. Instead, they've tried to hold on to this too long. There's definitely speculation in the political circles that Uh, big announcements from Biden are coming here in the next few weeks, maybe in a state of the union where he's going to try to take credit for the lowering of all of these restrictions. That will be the most annoying thing that you will ever imagine. Can you just picture how annoying it's going to be for the Democrats bragging about their performance through this pandemic and saying, well, thanks to us, you can now get rid of your masks that never worked. It's going to be a fun one. Um, And When I say masks don't work, you can look at studies uh, in in labs and find some benefits of of masks at all levels at some, you know, at some 
some some studies show them, some studies show nothing. We went through, we did a whole show, Stu Does Masks, where we went through like 15 different studies. And particularly in labs, you can sometimes find minor benefits. It never was a cure-all. It was never the thing. It was never, just, just wear your mask and everything will be better. It was never that. However, N95 masks do seem to work pretty well. If you're wearing them correctly, you have to be wearing them correctly. But the best thing about N95 masks, and we did a show about this as well, is there's a problem with the approach to this pandemic in which Democrats who were worried were uh, forced to depend on us evil conservatives who didn't want to wear their masks. And the messaging was, I wear my mask to protect you and you wear your mask to protect me. And so they kept pitching that to us over and over and over again for so long, the left turned it into this moral crusade. And they would come out and wearing their masks and have no protection because they're wearing some you know, bandana or some crappy cloth mask that does nothing. And they would be yelling at people in the grocery stores for not wearing anything, even though both were doing a, basically the same job. There was almost no protection from masks at all. However, there was always N95 masks. And at the very beginning, they were very difficult to get. But months in, the market responded to the demand, and N95 masks became very much available at places like Lowe's and Home Depot. Uh, very easy to find. You know, painters use these things all the time. They're on the market. They just, you know, in the beginning of a pandemic, everybody snatched them up initially. But they were always there, uh, and they always uh, wind up coming back pretty quickly afterward. These are masks that can protect you. You don't have to worry about... The, the hicks at the grocery store that, you know, those, those damn Republicans and Trump voters, those MAGA hat people, they'll wear the hat. They won't wear the mask for you. You don't have to complain about them. Just wear an N95 mask and you'll get way more protection than you'd ever get from the Cletus the slack-jawed yokel over there not wearing his mask or wearing a cloth mask. Uh, this has been an available option for a very long time, and yet the government has never emphasized it, it would solve all of these divides because then a Democrat who's worried, even if it's irrationally worried, could protect themselves with a mask. And you and me can go out there without them because we're hicks. Okay? We can all live happily with our own choices. This is how life is supposed to be in America. But it was the type of thing that was taken away from us because over and over and over again, they wanted to come with this collectivist vision where everyone wears masks to protect everyone else when we didn't need to do that in the first place. And it never worked when we did it. Well, uh, now uh, the, the, uh, the science is changing a bit on that. Now that we, the Democrats suddenly are realizing an elections around the corner and want to open these things up, they're saying, by the way, you can just use your N95 mask and that will, that will work really well to protect you. Uh, in fact, it will protect you, not just protecting others. Uh, I think it's uh, her name, Leanna Wen. She's a, a former Planned Parenthood lady who does some um, COVID stuff on CNN all the time. Has been a big protectionist this entire time. She kind of came out and said, hey, yeah, you know, the science changed on whether you can protect yourself with your mask. The science didn't change. Here's the thing about science, and this is the best thing about science. The science never changes. Never. That's why science is such an effective and wonderful thing, because it never changes. It's a constant. The rate of gravity falling to the earth, always the same. Uh, you know, the sun comes up, the sun comes down, it heats up to a particular temperature. The, the, the dynamics of the environment and the dynamics of the atmosphere work the same way. We all have these things that come together uh, for our wonderful uh, life that humans get to live based on science and predictable science. We know how these things work. 
The science has always been the same with COVID-19 from day one. We just didn't know what it was. And as we advanced over the years, we got better understanding. And it's okay to not understand everything on day one of the pandemic. But when you don't understand everything, you have to be sure to not be a jerk to everybody and tell them they're idiots for not doing what you say. Because when you change it later on 50, 60, 70 times, they tend to notice. Now we are finally at the point where they're admitting that, hey, if you want to protect yourself, just wear an N95 mask and you'll get whatever protection is possible from a mask. It's your best level of protection outside of the boy in the bubble. And maybe, you know what? The left should just do that. Maybe you should all come in with bubbles. And uh, I, you know, I don't know exactly what the breathing apparatus needs to be. You can let you figure that one out on your own. The bottom line is you can protect yourself now. We have treatments, we have vaccines, we have uh, all sorts of different tools at our, uh, in our arsenal now to be able to fight COVID-19. We're way, way late for this, uh, this block of, of television where we're going through and we're, we're saying, hey, maybe it's time to open everything up. We're way, way, way late on that. But I still want to get there. Let's get across the finish line and then we can move on to making sure every single one of these decision makers is held accountable for what they've done. Well, this is going to be a rough weekend for me. I got to tell you, I'm going to the Super Bowl. It's going to be a disaster. Um, Now, I like the Super Bowl. It's a lot of fun. Not my healthiest weekend of the year though, I will tell you. And um, I tend to eat and drink quite a bit. And then I come back on the other side and, you know, I will look, I will look like Andy Reid. I will look like a, you know, basically a giant red cherry if I wear a red shirt. That's why I wear this slimming suit. The same one every day. Smells the same as day one, pretty much. Anyway, uh, Bill Bar has uh, solutions to these problems because you're going to want to eat stuff that still tastes good. Um, Built Bar gives you these things, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, coconut, cookies and cream, all these great flavors, and it's 180 calories or less and 18 grams of protein. You can replace a meal easily with a Built Bar, you have a great snack, maybe even a great dessert. You can bounce back from a rough weekend or pre-burn, get ahead, eat a little healthy up until the Super Bowl, then you eat whatever you want on the Super Bowl Sunday. At least that's uh, one approach that doctors do not recommend. Uh, you got to love Built Bar. They will uh, make sure you get a great meal a great snack, and it won't cost you at the waistline. Go to Built.com, use the promo code Stu15, save 15% off your first order. Go to uh, Built.com, the promo code is Stu15 for 15% off. It's Built.com. So, you know, one thing I've learned over the years about uh, the, the issue of life and abortion is it tends to really reveal something about the people, the activists who are, uh, fighting uh, for and against it. Um, I want to give you a clip. This is, a, this is a clip from The Daily today. And The Daily is a, the flagship podcast of The New York Times. Why do I listen to it? I torture myself. I listen so you don't have to, so I can catch little nuggets just like this. And the story, you described... Oh, sorry. The story today was about a, um, a bizarre sort of fake conspiracy theory. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's called um, uh, Birds Aren't Real. And basically, the concept was that birds have been replaced by drones um, and the government is now spying on you with the bird drones. It's a fake conspiracy, kind of like out there to 
I don't know, criticize uh, people who believe in real conspiracies or whatever. It's kind of it started as a joke and turned into this thing to, you know, yell at people. And so they go through this whole story and they're, they're developing you know, why this guy started. He's some, you know, ec- you know, college dropout. Why did he start this this whole movement? And it's become popular online, I guess. And they go into a, a place about here's a real it's becoming more serious because they're able to push back against, you know, crazy people in real life with this stuff. I want to give you a clip of this guy um, talking to one of the New York Times reporters as he explains how they broke up an abortion uh, protest. Watch, Listen. He described a scene last year at the University of Cincinnati where an anti-abortion protest was taking place. There was a group of anti-abortion activists that mm-hmm. came out in full force okay. shortly after the Texas abortion ban. And we're walking around with images of, like, mutilated babies. And, like, it was just very violent. Like, it, it, can, we, uh, can we stop for a second there? chapter at the university. Can we stop for a second? They were walking around with pictures of mutilated babies, and it was uh, very violent. Why, why was it violent? What do you mean it was violent? This is just a surgery procedure, right? This is just a procedure. It's not a, what do you mean a baby? Why did you use the word baby? It's weird when you're not, when they're not talking and watching their language, they just admit the truth. It was very violent. No one wants to look at it because it's revolting. It's the process that you are defending. Now, this is a guy talking about how he broke up an abortion protest because he's proud of himself. He's a he's a he's a pro-choicer and he's proud of himself for this. Yet even he, as he goes through this, admits that he's watching violence and it made him uncomfortable and it was bad. Listen to more. Stood next to the anti-abortion people Mm. and basically held a mirror up to the absurdity and Mm. started yeah, chanting birds aren't real, which ultimately shortly turned the whole situation into a birds aren't real rally and we just got sent videos they ended up kind of taking over the anti-abortion protest Mm. there was just sort of this like cacophony of comedy and and absurdism that seemed to diffuse the anti-abortion people Mm. and ultimately they had to just walk away because they they couldn't even be heard oh so is that the goal they went into the situation that was intense confrontational and non-aggressively diffused the harm that was being done through comedy. Mm, They diffused the harm that was being done, not the harm that happened to the babies on the pictures that he previously called violent, not that harm, didn't diffuse that harm. It diffused the harm being done by the protesters trying to make people aware of what this process actually is. And did you get the goal there? He celebrated the goal because they came in and started chanting their fake you know, birds aren't real slogan, which made the abortion protesters have to leave because their voices couldn't be heard. Again, you're saying the silent part out loud here. The goal is, of course, that their voices can't be heard. You want them to shut up. You know that in reality, the violence that you're seeing is real. It's actual violence. It's, it's, not the, it's not the problem of the picture. It's what happened to cause the picture to be taken. That's the problem. And over and over again, when even activists on the pro-choice side are forced to actually discuss these issues in an honest way, when they're not catching themselves with every little language loophole they've built in, they admit the truth. And the truth is revolting. It's disgusting. And they know it. They know it. So anyway, uh, that's uh, from the Daily uh, Today. 
Is it worth going back and listening to the whole thing? Eh, not really. It's a guy who thinks he's really cute, and he came up with a fake conspiracy theory, and it kind of caught on, and they make him seem like he's a hero. There you go. Now you don't have to listen. Mattress Mac uh, is in Houston. You know him. And you know him probably because of his charitable work. The guy is incredibly generous. Uh, He has... Uh, done so much for the community of Houston. He just seems like a great guy. I, you know, we don't know him. He's not an advertiser. He's never been on the show, I don't think. Maybe he has once. I don't know. But he just seems like a great guy. Every time there's a huge um, uh, issue with people uh, in trouble, he's always stepping in and and helping out, whether it's, I mean, he had people, I can't remember which one it was. It might have been Hurricane Harvey that hit Houston. And he had people, he just opened up his mattress store so people could come in and sleep in the mattress store. Just opened it up. Like, uh, he's like, yeah, you know what? You might not have shelters right now. Your home, house might be flooded. Come on into my store. Use my brand new mattresses. Have a good night's sleep. He's done tons of stuff like that. He's also famous on the other side, though, for he's a big gambler. Uh, and he makes headlines all the time for his really large wagers. He has now placed the largest bet in history uh, on a mobile app. million on Super Bowl uh, 56 for the Cincinnati Bengals to win the game over the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, He did it through the Caesars Sportsbook app, had to drive to Louisiana because for some reason Texas can't figure out that people should be free to spend their money on entertainment choices of their own. I don't know, this is supposed to be a free state, and for some reason we have no ability to do any of these things. Uh, We all have to drive across the border to Oklahoma and Louisiana to do them. Does that sound smart, Texas? Anyway, he's going to, uh, he would win $7.7 million, so he gets his $4.5 million back, and gets $7.7 million if the the Cincinnati uh, Bengals were to win. Now, two ways to look at this. Either Mattress Mac is just a degenerate gambler, And uh, he's constantly making erratic bets. I don't know. I mean, I remember going back through um, one of the first trips I ever went on with uh, one Glenn Beck uh, and the show. This is back before the the, the talk show even started. We went to um, Atlantis and the Bahamas. And it was right after it opened, like, I don't know, a week or two after the the place opened. And we're, we're going through there. We're walking through the casino. And there's Larry Flint, you know, in his wheelchair, sitting at a blackjack table, all roped off. And it's him and a dealer. He's by himself, and he's playing five hands of blackjack at a time for $5,000 a hand. And, you know, needless to say, he's not smiling. He's not joking. He's not talking. He's not with anyone. He's sitting there by himself playing $25,000 a hand and looking as sad and pathetic as Larry Flint always looked. And I thought to myself, what joy do you get out of this? Right. Like what's the happiness that comes out of this? Obviously, if you can win, afford to lose twenty five thousand dollars on a hand, are you you even that excited if you win twenty five thousand dollars? You know, and I think there's a there's a diminishing sort of return when you're a big gambler like this. Like if Mattress Mac can afford to lose four point five million dollars, you know, I mean, it's nice to win seven million more. But like, I don't know. Is it that material to him even? Uh, So there's this idea that maybe he's just a crazy gambler and just really loves getting the high of gambling and has to escalate it all the time. I tend to think it's a little bit different, though, and I caught this detail because he's such a smart guy and he's such a great charitable guy. Maybe he just likes this publicity. He knows it's going to make people come into his store. People talk about him and it's going to wind up paying for itself. And and listen to this. This is uh, what he's doing. And again, this guy just seems like the nicest guy in the world. Gallery Furniture, located in Houston, is running a promotion for customers who spend $3,000 or more on Tempur-Pedic, Stearns & Foster, or Sealy mattresses or on reclining sectionals, sofas, and loveseats. All in the news story. 
to tell you how well the pr- promotional um, idea is going. However, if the Bengals win, Mattress Max will, Mac will use his winnings to reimburse the full amount of customer purchases. So you come in there, you buy a bed for $3,000, the Bengals win, you get the money back. It's a free bed. This guy's a genius. He is a genius. Back in a second. Once you get the $7.7 million back, then you put it all into Bitcoin tomorrow. This is how you do it. Tika Tawari first started uh, taking, uh, you know, Questions from Glenn back in the day, live and uh, on the radio show. Uh, Back in 2016 or 2017, uh, people called him crazy back then, uh, but they didn't understand uh, what was going to happen with Bitcoin. I don't know that many people did. Tika was one of them, though. He saw this very early. He got on the bandwagon well before the 2017 sort of peak hit, a peak that everyone was calling the biggest bubble of all time and now looks like a little tiny mountain on the large graph. Uh, it's amazing what, what has happened with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency over the years. We've seen a lot of altcoins go through uh, big time highs as well. We're talking two to three trillion dollar asset class. You don't need to commit a lot of money uh, to get into crypto. You can still get big time wins. Uh, some uh, wins are so big you can erase your losses a hundred times over. If you haven't bought Bitcoin, it might feel like it's too late. We've been through all these, uh, all, this, all these hype cycles. Well, you're still really early on this. Compared to the rest of the country, you're still early. Do your own research, but don't wait. Sign up for Tika's Palm Beach letter. Uh, he talks about all these different investment ideas. BigTReport.com is the place to go to get it. It's BigTReport.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. One app I really like, by the way, for podcasts is Overcast. Uh, it lets you also pull clips of the shows, and you can post them on social media and stuff. It's kind of a cool way of doing it. If you don't like Apple Podcasts or uh, you know, uh, you're know you not a big fan of Spotify, try Overcast. I like it quite a bit. Um, by the way, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. You know the thing. Five stars is the appropriate rating. Love this stupid show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Love your reviews. Also, you can watch the show on YouTube. Lots of social media. We'll put out clips as well. You can comment live during the show. Uh, Tristam says, this is my favorite show on Blaze TV. Um, I fully agree with your analysis. Uh, It's my favorite show that I get paid to watch. And uh, I do get paid to watch it. Um, Also to do it. Dale says, uh, the MSM has zero credibility when it comes to COVID news, facts, and coverage. Yeah, that's kind of where we are. And that's a real problem, by the way. It would be really good if they did have credibility. uh, But they don't seem to want it by the way they're acting. Uh, Teacher says, every time a media personality admits they're wrong, an angel gets their wings. (laughs) Uh, Very, very true. We had someone yesterday actually admitting they were wrong. An angel got their wings. And I do feel like that's a good thing that we should encourage. When people say that they're wrong, and here's, I looked at it this way, I've changed. That's a good thing. We should encourage it. Uh, we should embrace it because it would make the media a lot, a lot better. Uh, Jill Fisher says, I would watch every episode of Dirty Jobs berating the board with Mike Rowe. I love this idea from Rob Eno. It goes on TV and just berates all the CNN coverage for the week, and it goes on TV. I'd watch every single episode. I'd watch every episode. Back in a second. Make sure you head over to stewdoesmerch.com. We talked about, uh, first of all, it's Super Bowl week this week, and we talked about racism in the NFL today. And it reminds me, you should really have this mug on hand for your Super Bowl party. You might be a little late for this one, but have it on hand all the time. It says, always remember, before Colin Kaepernick took a knee, he lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. Before he took a knee, he didn't lose his job because of his dumb stance. Okay. 
that's just something I wanted to get off my chest. It's available at stewdoesmerch.com. By the way, today, one of the most important days in American history, my birthday. Mm-hmm. That's right, February 9th, a big freaking day around these, pla- these parts. Uh, and it's true, you know, it's my birthday. I know everyone's really excited about that. But about uh, nine years ago on my birthday, I was getting ready to celebrate number 37, and I got the greatest Christmas present of all time. My daughter, Ainsley, was born a couple weeks early on my birthday, and now she's totally taken it over. Uh, I say, it's my birthday on February 9th, and she says, no, it's my birthday. And you know what? She's totally right. There she is, the adorable girl herself. Happy birthday, Ainsley. We'll see you tomorrow.